Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, October 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Uh, Great, 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 great variety of topics. Uh, Over 60 well-curated podcasts, all approached from a Christian worldview definitely worth your while. I will guarantee you, you'll find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a real possibility that you'll find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So again, I would encourage you to get on over there and look for something you want to listen to. I also want to continue to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. Let's go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, with it being the last work day of the week, we're going to be doing our Bible reading and then we'll be doing, <clears throat> sorry, we'll be doing our last Bible study for the, for the week in the evening segment. And then we'll, God willing, pick back up Monday, Monday evening. Um, so we'll be wrapping up our first section of John chapter 14. The first six verses we'll be wrapping up with verses four, five, and six for the evening segment. Um, so let's go ahead and get on into a reading. Let's open up with our sixth day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness infinite. Thy compassions unfailing. Thy providence boundless. Thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, the morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for October 13th. The text for it is from 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. 
Genuine spiritual mourning of sin is the work of the Spirit of God. Repentance is too choice a flower to grow in nature's garden. Pearls grow naturally in oysters, but penitence never shows itself in sinners except divine grace works it in them. If thou hast one particle of real hatred for sin, God must have given it thee, for human nature's thorns never produce a single fig. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. True repentance has a distinct reference to the Savior. When we repent of sin, we must have one eye upon sin and another upon the cross, or it will be better still if we fix both our eyes upon Christ and see our transgressions only, in the light of his love. True sorrow for sin is eminently practical. No man may say he hates sin if he lives in it. Repentance makes us see the evil of sin, not merely as a theory, but experimentally, as a burnt child dreads fire. We shall be as much afraid of it, as a man who has lately been stopped and robbed is afraid of the thief upon the highway. And we shall shun it, shun it in everything, not in great things only, but in little things, as men shun little vipers as well as great snakes. True mourning for sin will make us very jealous, mm, excuse me, very jealous over our tongue, lest it should say a wrong word. We shall be very watchful over our daily actions, lest in anything we offend. And each night we shall close the day with painful confessions of shortcoming, and each morning awaken with anxious prayers, that this day God would hold us up that we may not sin against him. Sincere repentance is continual. Believers repent until their dying day. This dropping well is not intermittent. Every other sorrow yields to time. But this dear sorrow grows with our growth, and it is so sweet a bitter that we thank God we are permitted to enjoy and to suffer it until we enter our eternal rest. All right. Well, our reading is going to be Jeremiah 22 all the way through Jeremiah 23, verse 20, 2 Thessalonians 1, Psalm 83, and Proverbs 25, verses 11 through 14. So Jeremiah 22. Thus says Yahweh, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there you shall speak this word, and say, Hear the word of Yahweh, O king of Judah, who sits on David's throne, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says Yahweh, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the sojourner, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you men will indeed do this thing, then kings will enter the gates of this house, sitting for David on his throne, riding in chariots and on horses, even the king himself and his servants and his people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares Yahweh, that this house will become a waste place. For thus says Yahweh concerning the house of the king of Judah, You are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Yet most assuredly I will make you like a wilderness." like cities which are not inhabited. For I will set apart destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they will cut down your choicest cedars, and throw them on the fire. Many nations will pass by this city, and they will say to one another, Why has Yahweh done thus to this great city? Therefore they will say, Because they forsook the covenant of Yahweh their God, and worshipped other gods, and served them. Do not weep for the dead or console him, but weep continually for the one who goes away, for he will never return or see the land of his birth. For thus says Yahweh in regard to Shalem, the son, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who became king in the place of Josiah his father, who went forth from this place. He will never return there. 
But in the place where they took him away into exile, there he will die and not see this land again. Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness, and his upper rooms without justice, who uses his neighbor's services without pay, and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a roomy house with spacious upper rooms, and cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar and painting it bright red. Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink, and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. It is not that what, what it means to know me, declares Yahweh? But your eyes and your heart are set on nothing except your own greedy gain, and on shedding innocent blood, and on doing oppression and extortion. Therefore thus says Yahweh in regard to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for him, alas, my brother, or alas, sister. They will not lament for him, alas, for the master, or alas, for his splendor. He will be buried with a donkey's burial, dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon and cry out, and lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out also from Abarim, for all your lovers have been broken. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth that you have not listened to my voice. The wind will sweep away all your shepherds, and your lovers will go into captivity. Then you will surely be ashamed and feel dishonor because of all your evil. You who inhabit Lebanon, nested in the cedars, how you will groan when pangs come upon you, pain like a woman in childbirth. As I live, declares Yahweh, even though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, wore a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off and I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Indeed, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another land. There, there you were not born, but there you will die. But as for the land to which their soul desires to return, they will not return to it. Is this man Coniah a despised shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his seed been hurled out and cast into a land that they have not had not known? O oh, land, 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 hear the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, Write this man down childless, childless, a man who will not succeed in his days. For no man of his seed will succeed, sitting on the throne of David, or ruling again in Judah. Jeremiah 23 Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares Yahweh. Therefore thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are shepherding my people. You have scattered my flock and banished them and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares Yahweh. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the land where I have banished them and cause them to return to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will shepherd them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be left unattended, declares Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as a king and prosper, and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, Yahweh our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when they will no longer say, as Yahweh lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt. 
But as Yahweh lives, who brought up and brought back the seed of the household of Israel from the northland and from all the lands where I had banished them, then they will live on their own soil. As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I have become like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine, because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, for the land mourns because of the curse. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up, their course also is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares Yahweh. Therefore their way will be like slippery paths to them. They will be driven away into the thick darkness and fall down in it. For I will bring their evil upon them, the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen an appalling thing. The committing of adultery and walking and lying. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one is turned back from his evil. All of them have become to me like Sodom, and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore thus says Yahweh of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood, and make them drink poisoned water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem pollution has gone forth into all the land. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into vanity. They speak a vision of their own heart, not, not from the mouth of Yahweh. They keep saying to those who spurn me, Yahweh has said, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, evil will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh, that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and heard? Behold, the storm of Yahweh has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling storm. It will whirl, excuse me, it will whirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of Yahweh will not turn back until he has done and established the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. All right, Second Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is only fitting because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of each one of you all toward one another increases all the more, so that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering, since it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give rest to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our witness for you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness, and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Psalm 83. A Song, A Psalm of Asaph O God, do not remain at rest, do not be silent, and O God, do not be quiet. For behold, your enemies roar, and those who hate you have lifted up their heads. 
They make shrewd plans against your people, and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, Come, and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one heart, against you they cut a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Jebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have become the power of the children of Lot, Selah. Do to them as to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who were as dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, make all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God. O oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest, and like a flame that burns up the mountains. So pursue them with your tempest, and dismay them with your storm. Fill their faces with disgrace, that they may seek your name, O Yahweh. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever, and let them be humiliated and perish, that they may know that you alone, your name is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. And how much that should apply to Hamas and Hezbollah right now. Particularly Hamas, but I, I have a feeling Hezbollah is going to get into it. But how much that imprecatory psalm should be applied to Hamas right now. Um, all right. And finally, Proverbs 25, verses 11 through 14. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful envoy to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that this time together will help you become more and more saturated with the word of God, as I, as I hope it does me as well. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one called Love Shed Abroad. Let's pray. Gracious God, my heart praises thee for the wonder of thy love in Jesus. He is heaven's darling, but is for me the incarnate, despised, rejected, crucified sin-bearer. In him thy grace has almost, has almost outgraced itself. In him thy love to rebels has reached its heights, its height. O oh, to love thee with a love like this. My heart is stone, melt it with thy love. My heart is locked, let thy love be the master key to open it. O oh, Father, I adore thee for thy great love and the gift of Jesus. O oh, Jesus, I bless thee for resigning thy life for me. O oh, Holy Spirit, I thank thee for revealing to me this mystery. Great God, let thy Son see in me the travail of his soul. Bring me away from my false trust to rest in him and him only. Let me not be so callous to his merit as not to love him, so indifferent to his blood as not to desire cleansing. Lord Jesus, Master, Redeemer, Savior, come and take entire possession of me. This is thy right by purchase, and the arms of love enfold and subdue my willful spirit. Take sanctity, I'm sorry, take, sanctify, use my ever, every faculty. I am not ashamed of my hope, nor has my confidence led me into confusion. I trusted in thee regarding my innumerable sins, and thou hast cast them behind thy back. I trusted in thee when evils encompassed me, and thou broughtest me out into a wealthy place. I trusted in thee in an hour of distress, and thou didst not fail me, though faith trembled. 
O God of the eternal choice, O God of the restored possession purchased on the tree, O God of the effectual call, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I adore thy glory, honor, majesty, power, dominion forever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. And again, I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, October 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 14, the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 14. We've handled the first three verses over the last two evenings. We're going to handle the next three and then next week, we'll pick back up. God willing, we'll pick back up on verse 7. But let's go ahead and open up with prayer real quick. We're going to open up with one from Valley of Vision. This one is called Evening Praise. Let's pray. Giver of all, another day is ended, and I take my place beneath my great Redeemer's cross, where healing streams continually descend, where balm is poured into every wound, where I wash anew in the all-cleansing blood, assured that thou seest in me no spots of sin. Yet a little while, and I shall go to thy home, and be no more seen. Help me to gird up the loins of my mind, to quicken my step, to speed as if each moment were my last, that my life be joy, my death glory. I thank thee for the temporal blessings of this world, the refreshing air, the light of the sun, the food that renews strength, the raiment that clothes, the dwelling that shelters, the sleep that gives rest, the starry canopy of night, the summer breeze, the flower sweetness, the music of flowing streams, the happy endearments of family, kindred, friends. Things animate, things inanimate, minister to my comfort. My cup runs over. Suffer me not to be insensible to these daily mercies. Thy hand bestows blessings. Thy power averts evil. I bring tribute to th of thanks for spiritual graces, the full warmth of faith, the cheering presence of thy spirit, the strength of thy restraining will, thy spiking of hell's artillery. Blessed be my sovereign Lord. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening uh, for October 13th. The text for it is from the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs 8 verse 6. Love is strong as death. Whose love can this be which is as mighty as the conqueror of monarchs, the destroyer of the human race? Would it not sound like satire if it were applied to my poor, weak, and scarcely living love to Jesus my Lord? I do love him, and perhaps by his grace I could even die for him. But as for my love in itself, it can scarcely endure a scoffing jest, much less a cruel death. Surely it is my beloved's love which is here spoken of, the love of Jesus, the matchless lover of souls. His love was indeed stronger than the most terrible death, for it endured the trial of the cross triumphantly. It was a lingering death, but love survived the torment. A shameful death, but love despised the shame. A penal death, but love bore our iniquities. A forsaken lonely death from which the Eternal Father hid his face. But love endured the curse and gloried over all. Never such love, never such death. It was a desperate duel, but love bore the palm. What then, my heart? Hast thou no emotions excited within thee at the cont contemplation of such heavenly affection? Yes, my lord, I long, I pant to feel thy love flaming like a furnace, furnace within me. 
Come now thyself, and excite the ardor of my spirit. For every drop of crimson blood thus shed to make me live, O wherefore, wherefore have not I a thousand lives to give? Why should I despair of loving Jesus with a, with a long, with a love as strong as death? He deserves it. I desire it. The martyrs felt such love, and they were but flesh and blood. Then why not I? They mourned their weakness, and yet out of weakness were made strong. Grace gave them all their unflinching, unflinching constancy. There is the same grace for me. Jesus, lover of my soul, shed abroad such love, even thy love in my heart this evening. All right, well, like I said, we're continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John. We're continuing on in John chapter 14, and we're still in the first six verses. We've dealt with the first three over the last couple of evenings. And we're going to deal with the next three verses, four, five, and six tonight. We are in an overall section, which runs through the first 14 verses about comfort for troubled hearts. So I'm going to go ahead and read verses one through six, and then we'll dig into our verses for the evening. So John 14 verses one through six. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So again, like I said, we're dealing with the section that the uh, theologian who I usually take these headings and stuff from um, calls comfort for troubled hearts. And, and we really need to see that. OK. Um, and again, and I know I've said that the last couple of nights, but again, we really don't understand our text unless we've got the overall context is the fact that, you know, these guys like like we've talked about before. Um, hang on a second. Sorry about that. Need to check something for a minute. But like we talked about before, you know, the, these guys, like I've said, they they've lived with Jesus, uh, and in a way that most of us can't understand. Um, he's their rabbi, and in and in that situation, I know I've talked about it before, but again, let let's just uh, and I'll try to quickly re enumerate this: that when you became a disciple in first century there in first century Israel, you basically laid everything aside, and you lived slept, ate, walked, you name it, bathed, you name it, with your rabbi. You became very, very intimate with him. Your life was intertwined with his and with each other. I mean, in this case, and with your fellow students, your fe fellow students, that's what disciples are. They're learners, students. So this has been a three-year intensive theology course, including the the seeing the miracles, being exposed to the miracles, the spending the time um, being out on the stormy Galilean uh, sea, and, and then Jesus coming along and stilling it and saving you. You know, you name it. And you're fishermen, and he still had to save you because it was ridiculous what the weather was doing out there. I mean, it, these are the kind of things. These guys, and they've been following him, and they've given up everything. And like I've said, and they've just seen they're coming off the miracle that they've just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. He's raised a man from the dead and somebody they knew very well. And he raised him from the dead. 
he has shown clearly that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and they believe it. Peter has proclaimed it, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and they believe that. But like we've said, their understanding is a little skewed. They, while they have the spiritual sight there, there's a little bit of spiritual blindness because they believe he's going to be a temporal king. He's their king. They know he's their king, but they believe he's going to be a temporal king. They believe he's he's coming to, again, like I've said before, throw off the Roman yoke, to throw off the Ro off Rome, to stomp everybody around him and to bring them peace to, to make everybody down. I mean, think about it. Think about that today. Wouldn't Israel just love, not not that they're not that they're masochistic or, or, or genocidal, but wouldn't wouldn't Israel love for a Messiah to show up today to take over and to stomp Hamas and Hezbollah and the Palestinians and everybody around them that wants to give them a hard time, including like Turkey and Syria and, and Iran and all of that, so that they never had to worry about their borders again. And so that 80 some percent of, of, of their, of their population wouldn't have to mobilize to and crush their own economy to try to survive. Wouldn't, wouldn't they love that? So that, that's what these, and so we think about that today as we watch, you know, the, these animals that call themselves Hamas, um, running through and slaughtering babies and beheading them and raping women and, you know, just, and, and wiping out old people and kidnapping and whatever. And, and they're animals. I, I'm sorry, you can call them whatever you want to. And I'm not trying to make a political point here. And I'm really not talk, trying to talk about modern day stuff, but we, we see that. That was the world around them at the time of the first century. Believe me. I mean, even though they had Rome over them, so the odds of somebody piling in with, with Rome there was pretty slim. But at the same time, they were they were subjected. They, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. No matter what else happened. Yeah, they were allowed a little more leeway than most, but they were still subjects of the Roman Empire. And that chafed. E even though the sad fact is, the majority of Israel at that time were, were more or less ethnic Jews, not real God-worshipping Jews. They were more or less ethnic Jews, and that included the religious elite, as much, as much as you might want to talk about it. Whatever religion they were practicing, it was a false religion. It was not what God gave them, no matter how much it might be similar to it. It was not. So that's what they were looking for. And so they've come to the pinnacle, like I said before, and, and I know I'm dragging this out a little bit, but we, we really have to grasp this. They've come to that pinnacle of the triumphal entry. But even there, Jesus made the statement. He came and rode in on a colt of a donkey, a colt of a donkey, not on a war horse, not in a war chariot, on the colt of a donkey, which should have made clear that he was there for peace, not war. Not that the word is not a, not a sword and not that he didn't come to cause division, not peace, you know, in, in the case that the, the, the fact is the gospel is exclusive. It's not inclusive and the gospel will divide because people don't, I mean, we're, we're, ha we're seeing that within our own churches, um, but, and with our own communities, but triumphal entry happens. They're sitting there going, yes, yes. Our teacher is finally getting his due. And then he turns around and tells them, okay, one of you is going to betray me. One, he washes their feet, which, which had to leave them going, whoa. I mean, you saw Peter going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to wash my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not one of mine. Okay, well, then wash my whole body. No, no, no. You don't need your whole body washed. You just need to wash your feet every once in a while, um, which all had to do with, it, it was it was a metaphor for 
spiritual cleanness. But, um, you know, one of you, and, and these are, you got to understand, one of you is going to betray me. That was a gut punch. That was a gut punch that lays you out for 10 minutes kind of thing to them. And then, you know, and I'm going to be going away. They're, they're going, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be glorified, meaning they're going to murder me. He's being very clear. They are going to murder me. They're going to come murder, murder me. And I know it. And it's okay. This is, this has got to happen. They're floored. What, how can anything be right if their Messiah is going to be murdered? And then Peter, their titular leader, you're going to deny me. And basically he's telling them all, none of you is going to stick beside me in this. That's really what he's telling them all. So they're troubled. Again, we talked about that. Tarasso for the end, verse one, don't let your heart be troubled. Tarasso, they are, they're stirred up. Like we said, pool of Bethesda, they're stirred up. And so he says, we saw that trusting Christ's presence. He said, believe in God, believe, believe also in me. Again, he's saying there, trust in God, trust also in me. It wasn't a saving belief. They already have that, but trust in us, trust us that we've got this. We've got it handled. And then he goes on in verses two and three, and it's basically, listen, man, I'm going to be going to my father's house and there are rooms there for you. And I'm going to get them ready. And then I'm going to come and get you. And all of that is, should be a confidence builder because I'm not leaving you here alone. You are not abandoned. I'm going to prepare you a place and I'm going to come get you and bring you there where you will be leave, living intimately with my father and with me. How, what great comfort that should be. And he's trying to comfort them because Jesus knows what's coming. I mean, you and I do too. We've read to the end of the story, but these guys don't. That it's going to get worse before it gets better. And the fact is, it'll never get perfect because they are going to face trials and tribulations because they are the way, and that's what they call them. And, and actually that comes from one of our verses today. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why initially this Christian faith was called the way. Because it, the only way was through Jesus and thus their saving faith in Christ. The, thus they were talking about it. But again, so again, it's going to get worse. So he's trying to bring them comfort. So what we're seeing today in verses four, five, and six is that comfort comes from trusting Christ's proclamation. So verses four, five, and six, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do you, how do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. So, you know, he starts out and you know, the way that I'm going, Jesus is indicating here that the disciples should know where he is going. Now he's, he's indicated them even in just the gospel of John, much less across the other gospels. There's recordings of it that are even more so than just what's recorded in John, but he's indicated them repeatedly throughout the gospels that he will be going to the father. Thus, he's going to the father. They know the way where he's going. But again, they're, they're really, really struggling with this and having trouble grasping this. And I'm not bashing Thomas for his response here, but, but you know, they know he's told them. And he's also pointed out more than once that he's going to die. Thus, that is how he is going to join the father. There's no part of this that he hasn't explained to them by this point. But again, we're getting that manifestation of the fact that they're struggling with what he's told them because it doesn't fit with where their mind is. It doesn't fit with where their heart is at this point, that this is their temporal king. They're not grasping the spiritual aspect 
of Jesus presence here of his work his person and work and his sacrifice they're they're not getting it they will believe me they will and that's why john when he writes his gospel you know this that many years later that we're reading through now he makes clear that that after all these things we understood this after all these things the disciples understood things because they got it then they didn't at first but so we see the manifestation right here. Thomas and his response, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Again, these guys are so frazzled. I mean, they, they are so discombobulated. If you've ever heard that word, they're so discombobulated. Um, these guys, again, had sacrificed everything for this and had seen their Messiah proclaimed as king of Israel by the people. Yet Jesus is indicating, indicating that he's going to be betrayed and murdered. So they're, they're sitting there going, how do we know? How do we know the way? How do we know where you're going? We don't know. How would we know? Of course, they should know the way, but, but considering their situation, it's understandable that they're not quite putting everything together. I, I think you and I have had situations like that where, 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 you know, we're, we're trying to process through and whatever, and something just really throws us out of orbit throws us off kilter where we're really, really struggling to wrap our head around what's going on. So Jesus comes back here with his response. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. This is the sixth I am statement in the gospel of John. Again, remember the I am statements, the, the Yahweh statements, you know, I am that I am these I am statements in the gospel of John. And again, when he's saying them, he's basically saying that I am God. I am God. I am God incarnate. I am God. So these are the I am statements. And again, the seventh one will show up in chapter 15, but he's saying clearly, Jesus alone is the way to God. John 10, seven through nine. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, so this is previously they've experienced this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, he's making clear the sheep don't go in and out over the walls. They go in and out through the door. He is the only way. So he alone is the way to God. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's Peter, okay, saying that. So again, Jesus alone is the way to God because Jesus alone is the truth. So I am the way and the truth. John 1, 14 and then verse 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, we have to understand, actually, we're talking about it. Um, Pastor Jay was talking about it in our service last night that, that, you know, God doesn't say true things. What God said is true because God said it, because God is truth. So God is truth. So what he says is the truth. Well, Jesus is God incarnate. So Jesus is full of the truth too. One of, one of the characteristics of God that is also the characteristics of Jesus because he is God incarnate is that he is full of grace and truth as verse 14 said there. And then um, verse 17, um, that the law was given through Moses, which we know. 
And then grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So again, the, the grace and truth here is, is the truth of what was meant by the law. Okay. Cause, cause obviously, I mean, obviously the Israelites just didn't get it. Um, circumcision, circumcision was not supposed to be just a physical thing. It was supposed to be a representation of the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the fleshly things of the world from the heart. But they didn't get that. They didn't get the spiritual aspect. So that was just the law through that. And, and so they took the law as being some kind of set of practices and checklist for what they were to do. Not that the spirit shaped their hearts. They didn't get it. So Jesus, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ again, because Jesus says them, they are true. John 18, 37. This is Jesus before Pilate. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you yourself said, I'm a king for this. I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice, making clear that those who are of the truth would be true believers would be those that are true believers in the Christ, the Messiah, and they will hear Jesus voice. Just like we talked about the sheep, his sheep will hear his voice. Remember the shepherd's voice. So, Jesus alone is the way to God because Jesus alone is the truth about God and he alone possesses the life of God. First John 1 uh, verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Again, eternal life. So he's the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the eternal life. John 5, 26, for just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. Again, that eternal life that God has and provides, Jesus also has it. He's being clear. He alone possesses the life of God. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am, he's saying this, this was to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Again, eternal life. It's talking about, so he's the way. He is the only way to God. He alone is the truth because he's the word. He alone is the truth, the truth of God. It's only the truth about God. And he alone possesses the life of God. He alone possesses the life of God, the eternal life, meaning through him is the only way you can reach, reach it. And again, he finishes that out. No one comes to the father, but through me again, making very, very clear. And as much as this world tries to turn around and say, oh, there are many ways to God. No, there's not. Jesus is very, very clear about this. And he is the truth. God is the truth. And he is the truth. And because what they say is true because they're the ones saying it. So anybody that tries to, tries to shovel you some other load of whatever, it is false. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. Now, again, that should be comforting to them. That should be comforting to them because the fact is he's making clear. You have been with me. You have trained with me. You are with me. Therefore, you have this way. Not, not that they are the way and the truth and the life, but they know he is. And they have come to the father through him. FF Bruce speaks of this. He being Jesus is in fact the only way by which men and women may come to the Father. There is no other way. If this seems excessively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate Word, the revealer of the Father. 
if God has no avenue of communication with mankind apart from this word, apart from his word, mankind has no avenue of approach to God apart from that same word, who became flesh and dwelt among us in order to supply such an avenue of approach. So again, God communicates us with us through the word, and Jesus is the word. He is the word. Then that's our only way to talk back, our only way to communicate back. Christ has made the clear proclamation here that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. These disciples have been with him, and at this point, they have utilized this way to have access to the Father. They should be able to take comfort in this. And, 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 and clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think of that last one. He's stating, stating clearly, you have eternal life. Again, you can trust God and trust in me. I'm going to prepare you a dwelling place and I'm going to come get you. And you're going to have eternal life because you know that I'm the way and the truth and you've come to God through me. That's what he's told them over these six verses. That's what he's been very, very clear with so that, so that they could find comfort from trusting Christ's presence from trusting Christ's preparation, and from trusting Christ's proclamation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so should we. Because as he is for them, he is for you and I. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and wrap up with prayer. We're going to wrap up with the six-day evening prayer. It's called the Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Music